welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 249. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I'm joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by one Jacob Malicic. Hello, this is Jacob. And as promised in last episode, uh, actually, I don't actually think we promised this, but... We I think hinted. we mostly just went and died. Yeah, I think uh, we got to, like, uh, we're going to talk about companions maybe eventually from a policy standpoint because nobody knows until the docs come out. Mm-hmm. Well, the docs came out. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be talking about the IPG changes for Ikoria as well as some of the more interesting rules updates. And the IPG, whoa. Jacob, did you read all those changes? Uh, yes, I did read all of the changes in the IPG. It was, it was, it was a lot. It was, uh, I mean, they really, they really did a massive overhaul. Yeah, massive overhaul, three paragraphs, you know, potato, potato. Really. I mean, kind of the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, Throne of Eldraine came out, and uh-huh. the policy, the policy updates came out. At the end, it said... You know, be warned that Ikoria is going to be a monster of an update. <laughs> so, so I, uh, I run the annotated IPG, which does an explanation of all this kind of stuff. And I messaged Toby and I was like, no, 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 for real. Like, how big is this thing going to be? Because do I need to get more people out? What are you doing to me? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. It's just because of the set is about monsters. <laughs> did you believe him? I, I mean, I did. I mean, okay, it was good, like because he wasn't lying. It, he wasn't lying. There's there's hardly anything in here, but there's a lot to talk about because everyone's all been worried about. Well, what happens if if companions your decks don't match? Oh no, world. And I mean, for for the quantity of words that got added, which is relatively small compared to some updates I've witnessed, uh, the I guess the density of the the implication of those words I would say is pronounced in this case. Yeah, there's uh there's some implications in there. All right, so let's let's start with the smaller of the two implication wise. So there's deckless problem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so deckless problem didn't really have a whole lot. It it just says uh oh, companions affect what the player intended to play, and may produce a situation in which the deck and the deck list match, but violate the restriction on the intended companion. So if you're playing a companion that says, oh, hey, everything in your deck has to have an activated cost, and you've got a bear cub in there, and you're like, oh, I I, I want to play with my companion. I don't want to play bear cub. Because first, bear cub's not even legal. So, you know, like whatever your bear cup of whatever your new bear cup of choice is. So in that particular case, you know, it's it's one of the rules. One of the, the underlying rules or philosophies is if you have to edit the deck list, there's gonna be a game loss. So what we do, we take the deck list and the way we fix it, because we can't allow obviously allow them to play with the bear cub, or whatever the Icoria legal standard legal version of the bear cub is. We allow them to exchange cards between the deck and the sideboard until the restriction is met. And we're doing that, yeah, we're, we're doing that on the deck list itself. So this comes with the game loss, but then we fix it to make sure that what is being, what has been registered and what is being presented for each game one, if it lines up with what's registered, uh, is legal for that intended companion. Basically, the, the player gets to choose, hey, uh, I do, in fact, want to play my companion every game one. So we have, like, in order to fix the deck list, they have to take a game loss. Okay, so now let's let's ask a so what question that's not actually in the new words. It's a little bit further down in the old words. I wanna I wanna exchange cards between my main deck and my sideboard until the restriction is met. But turns out there's no cards in my sideboard. I was doing like a fully avant-garde transformational sideboard thing. I don't got any cards in my sideboard that meet the restriction. What do I do? Well, I mean, you you can't like first of all, it's not to your benefit to uh take the game loss in that case and I I am being uh, explicit in my verbiage here of take the game loss, right? Because you 
the player actually gets a choice here when we discover this this problem and the choice in this case is like you'd probably want the alternative which is well i can't play this companion i guess in that particular case well let's let's because that starts getting into deck problems let's sure let's let's just keep the the box around this as we are modifying the opponent wants or the player wants to play the companion and we're modifying the deck list sure in that particular case when i can't like removing the illegal cards or the restriction the restricted cards suddenly i've got like a 59 card deck right so we could I suppose replace the missing cards with uh I used to say basic lands yeah. and now I have to say either plains, island, swamp, mountain or forest cards in order to reach the minimum number of cards to make the deck legal. Yeah. So there you there there you go. And that works for the activated ability thing and I think it works for every companion actually. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Every every single one of them will be happy with basic lands. So uh oh you were thinking you were wondering if there was some companion that said like you can't play yeah basics. that's so like i was r- r- frantically going to strive hall to make sure i didn't end up eating crow later uh i thought you were like so Bri- brian Perlman is trying to like shoot trap me here oh uh, no <laughs> that that takes a level of preparedness that i don't have <laughs> so normally what happens is, is i just stick my face right in the problem and then someone tells me on twitter sure yeah. fair enough yeah and then uh, i yeah, don't go all... back and edit it we just played this game of who else notices yeah so so literally all of the companions uh in those cases where you don't have cards in the sideboard uh but you have to remove cards from the deck in order to play the intended companion uh would qualify for the well we were removing these because they don't fit and then we can put in basics uh that is not to to be clear that is not explicitly called out in the new language uh, in the IPG, nor is it like you can sort of have to read between the lines to find that. I guess oh. you could say, or well, between the last, the lines, the last I mean, paragraph in the additional remedy is that if the deck contains right. too few cards, right, right. So we've removed cards, and then it's but then there's a, the sentence immediately after that is if it's being adjusted to allow for the companion, you exchange cards between the deck and the sideboard until you can meet the restriction, right? So that could get somebody in the in sort of a mental lockdown of well, I can't do that so nothing else in the remedy applies but you can keep going all right and we're we've now got one extra card that can't go in the sideboard i'd probably say if they really wanted to put the bear cub in the sideboard and kick something else out like we're already editing the deck list sure fine whatever yeah i don't know why they would want that particular card uh so i think <laughs> so oh. two twos for two are not good for construction Look, Brian. it's adorable <laughs> Sure, and that... you don't win. You don't win games by being adorable. Anyway, you also don't win games by getting game losses. I beg to differ. There's a larger uh, game that's being played, my friend. All right. So moving on, deck problems. Deck problem. Now, deck problem. Um, a little bit more complicated. We we uh, <laughs> mentioned just a little bit earlier, right? That uh, there's a choice involved, and this is sort of the other half of the choice. So. The the first bit you come to in deck problem that's new is saying if we we see a card that's not legal for the deck because it violates a companion restriction. Uh, most of the time, I'm assuming this is going to come up uh, when players are playing, I reveal Zerta, so all my stuff has to have uh, an activated ability. And I cast Bear Cub, because I guess we're doing this in competitive magic now. Oh, yeah. And my opponent goes... You know, much as I would love for you to have that card in this match because of how irrelevant it is, it doesn't have an activated ability, so we're going to have to call a judge. Yep. Right? So, with the exception of one companion, every companion has a very visible restriction. Deck building restriction. Very easy to catch. Right. And this is this is where you start getting into the why it's not a game loss. It's because it is very visible both players can see it when that when that bear cub hits the table it's pretty clear and there really isn't an advantage you know it's essentially a dead card as right. bear cub is right either it's a dead card and they're not getting anything out of it or they're using it and the opponent has an, an opportunity we'll say to discover it because it is entirely possible 
you know, game's been going on for a while. Opponent forgot that the companion restriction is there, and we could go on for a bit after after yeah. the erroneous card was played. Yeah. Um, so it does require players to be slightly more vigilant when companions are revealed, but a lot of them are very obvious what the uh, what the restrictions are, and there's not, thankfully, a ton of them at the moment for the kinds of restrictions to be evaluating cards for, right? All that being said, so found a card that uh, cast Bear Cub. I'm playing Zerda. Bear Cub can't be in my deck. Judge, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to take a game loss. I don't want to modify my my deck. Judge goes, well, okay, you can't have a companion for your game one at a bare minimum because of that, right? Or if it's a post board game, and I board it in and then I revealed a companion, well, you can't have your companion for this game with the deck that you've presented. What do we do about that, right? If we're not if we're not doing uh, the deck list problem, if we're not giving game loss and then fixing the deck list, uh, well, we're going to go through the potential additional remedies for deck problem. So there's some new language in here for dealing with that specific scenario. Uh, basically, the way this ends up working is if we've got cards that aren't supposed to be there because they violate the restriction of the companion I reveal. And we want to keep the companion. Right, and we want to keep the companion, right? What we're going to do is we're going to fix the currently playing deck, the deck being played, to match the companion's restriction. And the way we do this is we're going to find all of the cards that are in the active game that were in the deck that had been presented that violate the companion's restriction. So we're going to find them all. So step one, find all the cards, right? Mm -hmm. Step two, we define cards in the sideboard of the same amount, same number of cards, that do meet the companion restriction that are legal with that companion. Uh, and we're going to choose a number of those equal to the number that we're going to be replacing, in this case, at random. So if you've got five cards in the library that violated, so you've four bear cubs in like a, I don't know, some, uh, something else without an activated ability that I can't think of right now for some reason. A Mons Goblin Raiders, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you've got those five cards, and then they've got ten cards in the sideboard with activated abilities. We're going to randomly choose five of those ten cards. Alright, so now we've got those five randomly chosen cards from the sideboard that are legal for Zerda. Then, we go to the opponent and we say, so, we've got three Bear Cubs in the graveyard, uh, one is in their library, and they've got a Mons Goblin Raiders in their hand. Which of these sideboard cards is replacing each of those? And the, the opponent decides, okay, this this one's going where the... These three will go in the graveyard where the Bear Cubs are. This one's going to go in the hand. This one's going to go in the library. Yeah, the Bear Cubs in the graveyard's getting kind of weird. Right. Um, look, they didn't catch it. A judge stopped by and went, hey, is that Zerta a companion in this game? Because if so, I have a follow-up question. Uh, yeah, I I think in, in that issue, you know, saying like you've already got presumably advantage advantage from those bear cubs, um, yeah, letting letting you keep advantage on your uh your companion. But realistically, you know, realistically, this shouldn't happen because the companion's right. gonna be coming out pretty early. It probably came out game one, like. You're playing it so that it's an eighth card in your hand, right? Right, right. So this is this is starting to get kind of corner casey. Like us, us as judges, we sit down and we kind of almost want to make up like a truth table of all the combinations and all the possibilities that could happen. However, not just because you know it's twenty five percent of the scenarios that can happen doesn't mean that it's twenty five percent of. Uh, the, the the universe of actions that will happen, if that makes right. sense. Right. Most likely, what we're going to be doing is replacing one card in, like, the hand stack area, right, when, when the opponent sees what's going on, and some number between zero and N cards in the library, right? Because... We're, we're catching the first instance, and there may be more cards that violate the restriction in, in a non-public zone. But yeah, most likely, that's what's going to be happening. I chose the graveyard because I wanted to, you know, note the 
multiple different zones, yes. this is what the remedy is saying. The wacky stuff. I do, before we move on, I want to give uh, a, a statement that my dad used to always give that used to drive me up the wall. Because when talking about like choices and decisions and stuff like that, he would say, ah, it's 50-50, either it'll happen or it won't. <laughs> and I'd be like, you, you do realize that that doesn't necessarily mean... To this day, I'm unsure if he was just trolling or he actually believes that. Like, I don't, I honestly don't know. I have evidence in both directions that, that he is both aware and unaware of the absurdity of that statement. So anyway. Other things to keep in mind here. Uh, so uh, I sort of intimated this a little bit earlier, but uh, this can actually end up in, an, I'll say, an interesting state where a deck will be in game one but playing a sideboarded configuration because of a revealed companion, if the if the registered deck, if the game one deck is not actually legal for that being that companion being declared, right? A little bit unusual. I don't think we've ever had something like that possible prior to this point, but the policy does now allow for that specific scenario. The intent being, you can't have this eighth extra card as you as you so eloquently put it uh without adhering to that restriction and so this is a way to mitigate uh by making sure that the you're not actually gaining an advantage because you're doing the thing you were supposed to do in order to gain that advantage in the first place yeah. uh last parts on this right um well actually two parts on this so I mentioned revealing the incorrect cards to the to the opponent. Uh, that's still true. Uh, again, this is another thing that's up in, in an earlier paragraph, so if you're focusing on just the new text, you might miss it, um, or miss that it is applying here, but we, we show the card so they know what's being replaced where. And lastly, uh, as you intimated, Brian, there is a companion where it's not uh, not necessarily going to be the first card that gets played, that that violates the restriction that the opponent yep. that that twigs the opponent to what's going on. It's that it's uh, that elemental otter. Yep, causing all the problems. Lutri is a is a unique case. Um, Emmet otter and, and his it, elemental band Christmas. <laughs> Emmet otter, indeed. So, in the case of Lutri's condition specifically, uh, what has happened is that the upgrade clause. Now, did you say what Lutri does? Oh, yeah, yeah, Lutri's, good call. Uh, Lutri's companion restriction is each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name. So Lutri requires all of your spells to have a unique name. You're playing Singleton uh, for non-land cards. The issue, of course, with that is the first card that you play of any spell well, that's fine. looks legal, right? It looks it's legit. only the sick. It's the second one that gets you, oh. right? And so here, because you've had two or more copies of a card when it wasn't legal to do so, and we're not really able to catch it, right? Um, so it's, it's been discovered after the game has begun. We've, we've sort of updated the upgrade clause that was dealing with, well, I've got copies of a main deck card and copies of that card in the sideboard, and so I could have... That's, there's that situation where I can have more copies of that main deck card being played than we're supposed to be. This is falling under that same area. Because if you think about it, it's almost the same thing. We're discovering this after the game's begun. It's a game loss, so it's upgraded to a game loss, unless they're all in the library, the random portion of the library. So if I'm if I cracked a fetch and I'm looking through my library where I where I declared Lutri and I'm like, oh, there's two lightning bolts in here. That's not legal. Judge. We can still fix that the other way. I haven't gained any advantage. As soon as I draw one of those lightning bolts, if I see the other one cracking a fetch, doesn't matter. One of them is no longer in the random right. portion of the library. And the reason the reason is, is because you were only to draw one. I mean, there's only supposed to be one lightning bolt. Which lightning right. bolt? Is it the one in your hand or is it the one in the? Yep. It affects the probability, and and yeah, we don't know which of those cards is the legal one, right? Yeah. And which is the illegal one, because they're indistinguishable from each other. 50-50. 50-50 is either legal or it isn't. <laughs> it's either legal or it's not. I don't know. All right. Um, something I did, I, I sort of glossed over, but there is another update here that I forgot to mention. Uh, it's on another upgrade clause, and this is talking about Presenting for pregame shuffling, 
this isn't a this is just a reword though i think yeah it's just a yeah. reword uh it's exa- it's it's saying exactly what it said before but they changed the order of the words so that the language is a little bit clearer so that upgrade where um we've caught it on a deck check for example is is the same yep so let's let's talk about this since we're talking about uh deck checks so swooping in the world of companions uh, so the rules say that companions are supposed to be revealed when you set your sideboard aside. So these are my 60. This is my sideboard. I reveal my companion. I start shuffling my deck. I present to my opponent. That's the way the rules say that it's supposed to work. Now, in reality, uh, people don't even pull their sideboard out of their boxes sometimes. So they're going to pull their 60 out, shuffle, 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 present to the opponent, get it back. And then before they draw their seven, you know, reveal, oh, there's my companion. Do we have anything that says uh, what to do if I want to reveal my companion after I've drawn my opening seven? I mean, it's too late at that point. Technically speaking, that's a violation of the the comprehensive rules for when that's supposed to happen. I'm not sure that that can't be called out of order sequencing. What information did I gain? Right. Uh, if I've got multiple companions, uh, no, 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 not like even what, then. like, like I have to, like, we we determine who's play draw, right? Yeah. Um, if I'm on the play, I'm not going to get to know anything about them. I have no new information. Where I'm going to be choosing to reveal this companion yeah. that I had before. Yeah. Okay. The only thing it does affect is uh, when we swoop for deck checks. Yeah. Right. So, and and Brian and I were actually. Here's a peek behind the curtain, folks. We're having a lot of fun here talking about new policy. But at the end of the day, Brian and I were having a conversation about this. And I I think what makes the most sense here, and Brian, you can feel free to disagree mm-hmm. with me because I'm often wrong. But I think what makes the most sense is if you're swooping for a deck check, you can ask at that point, and you probably should anyway, right? Uh, has anybody revealed a companion? And if the players say no... But one of them looks like they want to say more, or even not. You could say, is anybody going to be revealing a companion before I take these away? Right? Yep. I don't think there's anything wrong with locking that in in that moment and no. saying, hey, we're we're starting, a, we're about to start a new game. You should have that, and I, sh- I, as the judge who's about to check your deck, should know. And if nobody says anything, so people are like, nope, go ahead and take them away. Uh, now both players have an understanding that there are no companions revealed for that game. Sure. And that what we checked is valid. That's not information that a player should be trying to keep secret at that particular point in time. Correct. Because if the judge wasn't involved, what's the next thing that would be happening? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Revealing that companion. So there's no reason to be secretive about it. However, one thing to remember is this is going to get you. Like, in standard, sure, people are going to be playing companions. But this could actually get you in... Uh, modern or legacy or something like that. So this is now one of these things that we just have to be aware of and integrate into our deck check zeitgeist. Yeah, at legacy especially, uh, Jaruda and uh, Lurus have both been showing up in legacy deck lists that seem very good. I think a, a Death and Taxes deck with Lurus recently won a thing because turns out you can replay your lo- you can play Lotus Petal and replay your Lotus Petals cool seems good seems good right so all right so you want to talk about some of these that's that's ipg oh oh should we talk about the mtr changes oh yeah uh real quick so uh korea layer of behemoths uh has been released yeah cool it's legal it's legal it's legal there you go there's your your mtr update (laughs) and that has been our mtr changes all right, time for the real meat and potatoes, the moment you've all been waiting for, the comprehensive rules changes. Oh, okay. <laughs> commander is 100 is both the minimum and the maximum deck size for commander? I don't... Yep. Okay, sh- sure. You know, let's kind of gloss over some of the sillier or more pedantic rules changes. Yeah. Yeah, where it's just like, oh, Brawl has to have a minimum and a maximum of 60 cards. Ooh. Ooh. Because now there's a card that refers to minimum deck size. Yep. So they have to they have to define that a little bit. And okay. that card is a companion. So. Uh, yes. 
<laughs> Stupid companions. Making things more complicated. All right. Hey, they added rules about companions. They sure did. The The very first one, if, you, if you're sort of walking along, following along at home, is the very first thing that somebody has to do if they're choosing to play with a companion, right? There's a There's a new rule in starting the game that says when you're supposed to do that and how right uh and as you mentioned it's supposed to be before setting aside or after setting aside your sideboard before shuffling and also for people who are playing commander it technically happens before you reveal your commander uh i could see this being a very fun song and dance but uh realistically people are just going to reveal their cards oh your conspiracies come after all of that too by the way if you've got conspiracies (laughs) I hate you. In your commandian commander cube. Yep. All right. So now this this one you put in here uh three uh 305.6. Did you put it in here because you think it's a rules change just for companions? I think the reason why they put it in here, I was I was scratching my head on this change to 305.6, which so, basically Yeah. Yeah. Uh I put it in because I think it is exactly for Zerda. Um, because Zerda, with the language that was in here before, would have made basic lands illegal in the deck. In 305.6, had a bunch of rules, but then one of the lines is, a land with a basic land type has the intrinsic ability tap at a mana symbol. Now, what's interesting about that is, because the way they've kind of set it up, what we've been conditioned for is a land is a thing on the battlefield a land card is something that's anywhere Mm -hmm. so they changed it to an object with the land card type and a basic land type has the intrinsic ability blah 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 blah. keep in mind this this was something that we probably also should have clarified on when we were talking about mutate Mm -hmm. okay because we were talking we were using the example of mutavault Immutavolt has a very specific tap, add one colorless mana to your mana pool. Yep. If you have animated a forest, and your forest is a big, beefy 4-4 forest uh, that can tap for green mana because it is a land creature forest elemental, and you mutate underneath that forest, so the mutate goes underneath, or sorry, on top of, you, you do your elemental whatever, on top of on top of the forest, that object has lost its land type. the The top mutate card is the the type that that wins. Mm-hmm. So you no longer have a land. You no longer have a forest, which means it has lost the intrinsic ability of tap to add green to your mana pool. Uh huh. If it is a non basic land or a waste or a waste. That has that, then it's got the ability on it, and that ability sticks around. But if it's a land that can be represented by a big old skull in the in the text box, or maybe if it doesn't even need a text box, it's just full art, you know, glowy Nixie enchantmenty sun. I mean, dual lands uh, also are hit by this, right? Yeah. They don't have the they don't have the explicit. There's a reminder. That they've yep. got that intrinsic mana ability, but they're inheriting it from this rule. And so if that object is part of a mutate pile and is not the topmost object of that mutate pile, we're going to read the type line on that top object. And we're going to see, well, is there a basic land type here? Mm, sure isn't. Not a land, not a basic land type. That ability doesn't exist. We go off on this aside, but but Jacob made a very interesting discovery with Zerta the Dawnwalker. It says, since each permanent card in your starting deck has a activated ability, and previously the wording implied or outright stated, because sometimes the rules don't have to exactly follow, you know, the the rules for what has, what appears on card text. Right. It looked like that lands in your library would not have the activated ability. They would only have it on right. the battlefield, so Zerda would not let you have basic lands. Right. And I'm not I'm not 100% on that, but I also don't think we've had an effect prior to this point that cared. Nope. So now that we care, some I my, my uh, assumption here is some enterprising individual found that out and went, ah, no, 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 we have to change this. Yep. Uh, might, might have even been from arena testing where they're like, I can't put basics in my Zerta deck, what's up? Then we've got 
Well, what are the the next rules? I'm just going to say for seven seven o two one thirty eight a b and c. They added the explicit rules for companion, which if you listen to our episode last time on the Icoria release notes, we basically cover all of this stuff. It's sort of like, you know, hey, once you play the companion, it remains in the game until the game ends. And mm-hmm. hey, a companion is an ability that puts makes a deck building a restriction. You know, these are things that we covered. Nothing, nothing new and sexy there. But speaking of new and sexy, uh, it took me a bit to figure out this one. This is There's a new line, a new sentence has been added to 708.4b, which we all know what that is, right? Uh, it's the one that's talking that, about... That's the one that lets me, uh, tells me that I can use the event locator to find tournaments, right? I thought that was like 103.7b or something like that. A joke. But I know you're making a joke. I'm it's the a, one that says uh, that... Just because a creature might have wings doesn't mean it has flying. Right. That's a rule. It's the golden rule. So, now this is the one talking about mana costs of split cards. Uh, and this changed eh, not that long ago, actually, to just say everywhere else it's, it's the combined mana costs. But now, there's this extra line that says, An effect that refers specifically to the symbols in a split card's mana cost sees the separate symbols rather than the whole mana cost. What in the world is that even talking about? Well, this is talking about Gigantha, the Wellspring. Uh, Gigantha's a companion says no card in your starting deck has more than one of the same mana symbol in its mana cost. That's its companion restriction. So generic mana in numbers counts. We made that a uh, very good... Brian made that very good joke about Aladdin's Lamp having a five mm-hmm. and then another five. Mm-hmm. This is basically saying that split cards, rather than just combining all of the things into one giant mana cost, we're still going to look at the two generic circles on each half, and we're going to say that's one symbol and this is another symbol. So cards like Driven to Despair from Hour of Devastation or Classic Fire Ice, they both have a one generic in their mana cost. So let's just a clarification. Fire from Fire and Ice is one in a red. Right. Ice from Fire and Ice is one in a blue. Right. And while the red and the blue are not the same mana symbol, the one and the one are according to this rule. Lastly, uh, you want to talk about Companions and Commander? Companions and Commander still don't let you violate the Singleton rule or the color identity rule. Even though a Companion is not one of your 100... You, that doesn't mean that you can run Gigantha the Wellspring in your 100 and then a Gigantha the Wellspring in your companion spot. Right. Also, uh, if you are playing, let's say you Phage the Untouchable EDH deck, you cannot have Gigantha the Wellspring as your companion. Yep. That's everything that we have for the rules changes that are related to companion. Uh, next is all the stuff for the rules changes related to Mutate. And uh, there's a, a few more. Mutate has a few more rules implications, uh, as we as we intimated during the release notes episode. First one, to change uh, 115, 1B, uh, auras aren't the only permanent spells with targets anymore. They used to be, but now we can have creature spells with targets, because if you've got a creature with Mutate... It is a mutating creature spell on the stack, and it has a target of a non-human creature. Yep. It also used to have language in it saying the targets are chosen as the spell is cast. Now it just says the target is. So I guess there was an allowance there before for potentially multiple targets for an aura. Uh, I think that was just like, they might have been future-proofing. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, but I guess they decided they don't want to live in that future. Right. Nor do I. Uh, sure. Future where yeah. an aura can have two targets. How does that work? I think an aura with multiple targets is just another way to make a merged permanent. Uh, but they're hiding that on us. They wanted us to think that wasn't happening, and then they'll roll it out in another year. Was there was there something in Future Sight that lets you enchant two cards in a graveyard? Uh, it lets you enchant a card in a graveyard. There's an aura that enchanted a card in a graveyard. A spell card, an instant or sorcery in a graveyard. I don't oh, okay. remember the name of it. All I right. got got by it in a game of uh, Judge Tower, and that's the only reason I remember that card exists. 
Bet it was blue. Bet it's a blue card. It is one hundred percent a blue card. That sounds like that sounds like a blue card. If it's from Future Sight, okay. We talked about this a little bit in the release notes, and that is not part of Mutate, so we're just not going to do that just yet. Uh, next is the changes to Layer One are in. So we've we've changed the interaction of continuous effects because of these fancy dancy merged permanents. And also because I guess we wanted to explicitly put uh, face down stuff in here. It's not limited to copy effects anymore. Instead, it is referring to copyable stuff. Things that mo modify copyable stuff are all a part of layer one. And then it's broken into sublayers. There are exactly two sublayers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess exactly three sub. No, no two sublayers. No. There are two sublayers, right? Okay. So, so within layer one. Copy copyable effects are applied. This includes copyable effects and changes to an object's base characteristics determined by merging, that's i.e. mutating, with an object, an, merging an object with a permanent. Right, so so copy effects and merging and uh, merge permanents are in the same sublayer. Yup. Uh, and then your morph and manifest and exodron effects, face down stuff then gets uh, applied. So, used to be this was hidden outside of the layer system and was like secretly layer 1.5, <laughs> but now it's just actually layer 1.5. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, that tickles me. And then once you figured all that out, those are the objects copyable, copyable values. Cool. Yep. I, I whipped up some examples to to sort of figure out how this works, but really it's just like Okay, you got a bear cub with a bulb keep. Okay, if you copy it, you get exactly a bear cub with a bulb keep. So if a bear cub was on top, it's gonna be a two-two flyer with the triggered ability from bulb keep, and it's green and it's one and a green for its mana cost. Uh, if it's face down and you copy it, it's you you copy. Hmm, that's interesting. That? It's face down and mm -hmm. you copy it, right? Yeah. Do you you don't copy the face down part anymore? Well. You're not copying the face down status, but you are copying because because the other rule says that after you apply all that stuff, you've got the copyable characteristics. Oh, sure. Yes. OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why 613.2C has to be there. Right. Because we we are, in fact, copying the face down thing because it's part of its copyable values. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have an order, but then those are all used to determine what's copyable. And if I'm making a copy, I copy all of that. That's a lot of copy. Yep. That's, that's um, last part on face down stuff with merge permanence, just to get it out of the way. If you've got a face down morph on the top of your merge pile with a Vulpa keep, it's a 2-2 two -two with no abilities, but it is face down. So you hypothetically could say, hey, I'm going to show the morph and do the morph thing, right? Now yep. you got all the stuff. But if you have a face down card beneath it, not on the top, the object itself the permanent itself is not face down and so that's not doing anything and you can't turn it face up the next block of rules we kind of went over in the release notes episode uh yeah there's some so, explicit stuff in here but it's a lot of the same stuff we talked about about mutate right so if you're if you're really wanting for a deep dive on mutate we spend a half hour talking about mutate in the release notes episode i know because i edited it mm -hmm. um so I I don't think we would be doing a, a service to our listeners by repeating all half hour of that. I just, agree. Well, just put a a verbal hyperlink if you want to go there. It's https slash slash. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I will say uh, highlight because it's quick and can be done with one sentence that we did talk about in the release, which is commanders that are part of a merged permanent are still commanders, whether it's the top or the bottom, or somehow ended up in the middle. That object is commandery, commanderific. Yep, it is a commander, even if it's not the top thing. Also, when a merged commander splits up, and I think we talked about this too, the commander can go to the command zone, but everything else that's part of that pile goes where it was supposed to go, and you can't choose otherwise. And last thing, just on merged permanence related to mutate. In the explicit rules for merged permanence, this isn't. Um, but it is a consequence of merge permanence. There's a scenario with uh, Nissa Vastwood Seer, 
and and mutate. Not too much of a deep dive, but if you've if you've mutated onto a Nissa Vastwood Seer, she's gonna have the ability where if you play your seventh land, she exiles herself and then comes back transformed. So if you exile an object and it would try to return it transformed, but it's not a double face card, it stays in exile. So you'll get back your Nissa Vastwood Seer as the Planeswalker side, but unless some other unless some of the other cards in the merge pile were double face cards they're going to just hang out in exile forever womp womp <laughs> all right you want to talk about excess damage oh i love being excess uh so the rules for excess damage uh show up first in the new 120.4 so the rules for damage have changed damage used to be a three part sequence uh, for those in the know. And now it's a four-part sequence. And the new part is the first part. So now, before we do any of the other things we, we did before, we calculate what excess damage is if the if an effect is causing damage to be dealt to a creature and it specifies that excess damage is dealt to another object or player instead. Uh, interesting future-proofing there implying that maybe we'll get something that deals excess damage to something other than the player. But uh, here, it defines what excess damage is as being uh, damage greater than the creature's toughness, taking into account damage marked on it and and damage being dealt at the same time. So for excess damage spells, that's not quite clear what damage being dealt at the same time would mean. But for trample, that's that's worked like that before, right? Where you've got multiple... If you've got a, a blocking creature that's able to block more than one thing, one of the things has trample and one of the things doesn't, I can take into account that the thing that doesn't have trample is dealing damage to the blocker for determining what what amount of the trample can go over. So if there is a similar scenario that I can't think of with a like flame spill or another spell like that, it's going to work the same way. We get to take into account that other damage. And in fact, we must take into account that other damage for determining what excess damage is. Because excess damage differs from trample in that you don't get to choose to deal damage over what would be uh, considered yeah. lethal. So it explicitly calls out that the damage greater than one is excess damage if the source dealing that damage has death touch. Uh, this matters for the card ram through. If you're ramming through with a creature with trample and death touch, it's going to deal one damage to that creature, period. And you can't have it. You can't have it assigned more than that. As a result of that spell, another consequence of this that uh, people were messaging me about. So, uh, if you've got a zero power creature like Ornithopter, and you've got Zolortha or Godzilla, whatever you want to call it, the one that says we're going to use power for determining lethal damage rather than toughness mm-hmm. for excess damage for for a spell like Flame Spill, uh, you can't deal zero damage. And you have to deal at least one damage to be killing something, but this is going to calculate, well, zero, so four is excess and four is going to go over. So the Ornithopter stays alive and the player takes four damage. This differs from Trample, where you can, again, choose to mark a damage on there to make sure the Ornithopter dies. So that was a lot about excess damage. (laughs) Uh, Everything else is the same as it was before. It's just moved up a letter. All right. So... How does that interact with replacement effects, such as doubling effects? So let's say I've got my uh, my Pits of Wrath out, or not my Pit, my uh, Furnace of Wrath, doubles all damage dealt. All right, so my Flame Spill is going to, what, it's going to do eight damage? So I get, to, I get to hit that little Bear Cub for two and then have six spill over to my opponent? I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be nice. Um, that's not how that's going to work. Uh, because what ends up happening is we go to the next step. So we, we figure out excess damage at the beginning, right? That's before any replacement effects dealing with damage, any replacement or perfection effects have been applied in the process of dealing dealing damage. The next step after we calculate excess damage is when we apply those effects. We, we're going to use the base damage first, and then we're going to, to determine what excess is, and then we're going to apply those those modifications. So you're going to end up having deal having to deal four damage to that bear cub. Crap. Alright, so I got, a, I got a question for you. I've got so, an answer. Let's see if they match. So I'm, I'm going to play that, uh, what is it, that card run through. Yeah. Right? Okay, and I've got a 6-6 six, six 
life linker. All right. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at that bear cub. I go, all right, I'm going to run through that bear cub. And I also have, what is it, Johnny's Pride Mate? Whenever I, it gains, uh, whenever I gain life, it gets plus one, plus one. So yeah. I'm going to run through. I'm going to deal two to the bear cub and four to my opponent's face. How many sure. counters? How many counters is my Pride Mate going to get? Well, your creature dealt damage once. You got caused you to gain on amount of life. So that's going to give you one trigger. But it did it did two and it did four. Yeah, it, it two. Like this is it's a that's a great thought and I wish it worked that way. But uh, if if you line it, think about it this way uh, for the hypothetical asker, because yeah. I know Brian knows better. Uh, if, it's almost if, the reason why I'm asking the question. <laughs> yeah, if you've got like three blockers lined up on a creature with like six power and they're all two toughness creatures, um, and that six power creature has lifelink. Uh, you're still only going to trigger Johnny's Pride Mate once, even though you dealt two damage to three different things, because the damage all happens at the same time. Uh, and then we're processing that damage into results in the next step, and one of the results is, oh, it's going to cause you, the controller to gain that much life. Yep. That's one instance uh, from that initial damage thing. Yep. Overall, it's it's one. It's the life gain is off of the damage event. Yes, which is which is evaluated all at once. Correct. Uh, for per, like in because in combat, multiple creatures dealing damage is is different damage events, right? But one every one of those creatures dealing damage is a whole damage event. It doesn't make multiple events, right? Unless it has double strike, that's a whole other thing. Starts so getting into weird. We might we might want to talk about this one day when, if we redo combat. But it's 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 kind of weird as in. You know, whenever you whenever you're dealt damage, okay. So if I've got twenty creatures that attack you all at once, and you've got something that says whenever I'm dealt damage, sacrifice a creature. Okay, I'm dealt damage. All those twenty creatures are hitting me all at once. I just got dealt damage. I only got to sacrifice one creature. I don't got to sacrifice twenty. Now, if it says whenever a creature deals damage to you, then I got to sacrifice twenty. Mm-hmm. Okay, life gain is a little bit a little bit different, and this kind of gets into like some wonkiness that they tried to preserve back from when lifelink was a triggered ability. Mm-hmm. But uh, sources that cause a player to gain life, uh, it's it's not one event. Those are treated as separate events. So if I so if those 21-1 creatures all have lifelink, while it's still it's one damage dealing event, it's going to be 20 life gaining events. Why? Because rules because the rules say so right and that's and really that's just kind of like a vestigial part of the rules from back when um uh, lifelink used to be a triggered ability because it would deal damage and then lifelink would trigger off of whenever this creature deals damage you gain that much life so it would it used to be its own separate event because it was a separate trigger right and when they rolled it into a static ability they just kind of hand waved the rules massage the rules a little bit and they're like see it's the same only other thing on excess damage is that uh, they updated the wor- verbiage for trample to use the term excess damage rather than remaining damage. A trample works exactly as trample worked before. They just changed that wording for consistency. Are we ready to talk about keyword counters? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was yeah. born ready. If by being born ready means last week when we got the comprehensive rules update. So, uh, keyword counters are a new cool thing uh and we've got this rule 122 one rule 122 1b that defines what in the world a keyword counter is and it specifically says on a card in a zone on a permanent or on a card in a zone other than the battlefield thanks skullbriar uh knew you were watching out for us uh causes an object to gain that keyword it then lists all of the potential keyword counters which sadly removes the possibility for a horsemanship counter. So I'm bummed about that. Uh, it also says... I, oh, I was kind of flabbergasted. I was just like, oh, you, gotta, you gotta have a horsemanship counter, man. Why not? Like, there's literally a card that this has been... We've been we've been waiting. I've been waiting for a rule like this to come around to make that clear, and it's very clearly what it's intended to do. But, and... but here's the thing. You've, you've been excitedly waiting right right now imagine if they gave you a horsemanship counter you wouldn't have that continued excitement 
I mean, so sure. really, they. I'm the monster here, is what you're well, saying. No, I'm. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you're. You've got that excited sense of anticipation. They didn't take that away from you. You still have that. It's that whole like, what am I going to get on Christmas morning? Feel. It's just you know, it's yeah, next Christmas. But now they told me. They told me explicitly, I am not getting it this year. Right? Well, sure. Before... But maybe next. But maybe next set. They you never know. They, yeah. Okay. Sure. Maybe. Maybe you'll also get like shadow counters next set. You know. Ooh. You don't know. Okay. Well, now I'm pumped. Uh, anyway, moving on. Or um, it counters. also says. It also says the counter on the thing uh, on the uh, card in his own other than the battlefield or on a permanent causes that that object to gain that keyword, and that's an important distinction. It does not say that gaining the counter is gaining that keyword. This is something I think we talked about on the uh, release notes episode as well. But the the remember the Theros archetypes mm-hmm. discussion, yeah. Because they're now applying because they're applying in the same layer. This is all happening in layer six. If it happened, if it worked the other way, where putting the flying counter on a thing meant it gained flying as that's what gained like that was what was happening then the archetype would blank the placement of the counter. The archetype of uh, imagination would say, nope, that counter can't go on there. That's not how this works. The counters are placed on the permanent. The counter would cause the thing to gain the keyword, and that's what the archetypes of whatever says, uh, no, that can't happen. So that if the archetypes later go away, that counter still exists on that permanent, and it has that keyword. All right, fair enough. Do you want it? Do you also want to do the next one since that touches on your favoriteest artifact in the whole widest of the I world? guess so. Uh, one twenty-two point eight is written explicitly because the Ozolith exists as a card, and so it's defining what the words "put those counters" mean, or "put an objects" in brackets counters mean, uh, which is to say, not moving them from the thing in question. Uh, if the thing in question is leaving the battlefield. So, like, it's a whole bunch of words that says, if it says to do this thing, if it says put those counters or put an object's counters on another object, and that ability's trigger condition or effect checks that the object with those counters left the battlefield, then this is what you do. Right now, this is just basically talking about the Ozolith, but it's just, like, if, if something's leaving with counters, you... Take that many counters and you put them on the Ozolith. You're not moving the counters. You're not moving them. Uh, it is a separate instance of putting them on there. So it's like you, I think what I said in the release of episodes, like you took a picture and you put that picture of those counters on the permanent, but they were real counters. And we also have, and we talked about this a little bit in uh, in the last episode. You're getting that a lot. Uh, we're talking about where this factors in the layers. So this has been added into layer six as part of the description. It happens at the same time. It basically they didn't split. Uh, they didn't split it up. However, uh, these counters get timestamps, and so they needed a new rule to handle it. And they did a little weird thing where if I get a counter, I get a flying counter, or I get a horsemanship counter, or a poopa counter, <laughs> it gets a timestamp when the counter goes on. And then if later another horsemanship counter goes on, both counters get the current timestamp. This is most likely for a memory issue in case counters get removed. You don't have to worry or fight or argue. And it's like, no, 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 that's the older counter. Yeah, I I can't think of any other reason than that. But it's a great reason because I don't want to have to be sitting here going, uh, well... I'm going to remove the newest one, and then we have to go back and remember when yeah. the old one was put on. They kind of do it with other things, too. Like, yeah. a lot of the things that say, like, oh, this land becomes a creature, it gains haste. Well, the reason why they do that is so you don't have to suddenly go like, oh, no, no, no. That mountain that you just turned into a creature is the mountain that came into play this turn. It's got so many sickness. You're like, well, I got nine other mountains. Who cares? And, it's like, uh, no, no, I was watching. I was paying attention to the art. I also think this is a, it's similar to, as well, the, um, the timestamp change they did for double face cards and face down, face up cards, morph cards, I'm pretty sure. When they turn face up, you get a new one, because why not? It's just, I think it's, it's there to make it cleaner. Yeah, double face permanents get new timestamps when they, when they transform, and face down stuff when it comes face up gets a new timestamp then. Next is actually 
uh, going to make some judges sad. And I'm here for you. I'm, I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to listen. Uh, whatever you need in, in your moment of despair. I'm not. Um, Skullbriar, is... Skullbriar plus Phyrexian Ingester works intuitively now. Rather than how it worked before. Uh, because counters are no longer... Power and Toughness counters are no longer in their own sublayer. They've been folded in to the Power and Toughness modifications layer. Uh, now, what am I talking about with Skullbriar plus Phyrexian Ingester? Well, I could go into it if we like, but it's... Yeah. Uh... So so what this rules interaction... I'm going to cut in for a second. What this sure. particular rules interaction was between these two cards was the only instance where it actually mattered yep. the order in which you did power and toughness modifying effects uh, that didn't set, modified but didn't set, and counters. It was the only one. It was basically there as a smuggity smug smug point to put that people would put in their layers presentations to be like, ha ha, look at this thing that I know. He was useful as a teachable moment and a smuggity smug thing, as you say, and basically not really. And so, like, it's been cleaned up now. Now it, it was works the way it was more smuggity smug smug than teachable moment. Well, it it was a way to say, well, this is the only place where it really matters. Which, and basically, for for me, when I was teaching, I was saying, so it doesn't actually really matter because if you ever see this happen in a game, call me. Because some momentous thing has occurred. Yeah. Ba basically, the only time it would ever actually happen is if somebody made made it happen so they could be like, "Oh, look at this!" Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sort of like playing in uh in the old rules back when uh playing like a Varchild's War Rider deck and brand back when the uh, the token ownership <laughs> oh, rules were different. Oh man, yeah. Mm. yeah. So yeah, there's there's a there's a blast <clears throat> from the never past. So to be clear, basically. Now you're just totaling, rather than saying, oh, we're doing power and toughness modifications and then power and toughness counters, effects from those, you're just doing them all at once. You were anyway, let's be honest. You were just doing all the math. It doesn't matter. Just do it all. Oh, yeah. It's fine. All right. So now we've got some miscellaneous stuff, eh? Yeah, stuff that didn't really lump into any broad category for the, like, new things with Ikoria. Yep. You got your, you got your Godzilla cards. Yeah. So there's a rule to handle having two names. You got your big promotional name, and then you got your real name underneath it. And all practical purposes, it's the second name, the lower name, underneath the promotional name, and the promotional name is just there. So you can be like, this is Godzilla! Or, this is Space Godzilla! Space Godzilla! <laughs> Space Godzilla! Space Godzilla. <laughs> yep. Then with every rules update, it feels like there's usually, like, one Planeswalker type that gets added, Lucka in this case, and um, some creature types. Otter and Shark, welcome to the creature party. Uh, you can now... Sharks are no longer limited to being fish. <laughs> they can Let's be sharks just, now. <laughs> and, and all of the marine biologists say, <laughs> breathe a sigh of relief, thank you. So that was nothing. I'll talk about something a little more relevant. Um, I don't know how you make this happen. This might be with some of the new commander cards that I didn't really look that much into yet. But there's an, a rule in here now that says... Uh, so th for those in the know uh, and those not in the know, there's a rule that says if something's in exile and gets exiled again, it remains in exile, but it has a it's a new object, right? In exile, it's not the same object mm -hmm. as it was before. I think it was like a... Uh, original Ravnica block card that did something with this. Cold Snap. It was Cold Snap? Void Maw. Yeah, Void Maw, that's the one. It's, I was close. That's chronologically close. Right? Cold Snap came just before? Just at whatever. Yeah, it's that that and, what is it, Leyline of the good black one. The Void. Uh, Leyline yeah, of the Leyline Void. Of the yep. void. There you and go. you could do it, yeah, it was silly. Now, Command Zone to Command Zone functions the same way. So if something's in the command zone, and then it gets sent to the command zone again, it remains in the command zone, but it's a new object. So this is pro there's probably a card in the new commander yeah, sets. That's what I'm thinking, but I didn't look to find out what it is. I, nor do I want I was to. hoping that you would while I was busy rambling about exile to exile, but... Nope, uh, I was but too you were busy. there with that with that cold snap spot. So well, I'm I was too for busy that. in my mind going void ball <laughs> is ready. Ah, <laughs> uh, so moving on, 
<laughs> That's going to be the bumper at the beginning of the show. Void Maw <laughs> is ready! <laughs> what else we got? Well, layer one has been removed from the list of layers where characteristic defining abilities are applied first. So I guess we're not getting any characteristic defining abilities in the copy effects in the copy characteristics layer. That was that was an actual that's a change with this update. Six one thirteen two removed. Yeah. So it used to say layers within layers one through six applied effects from characteristic defining abilities. Now it says within layers two through six. Okay. I don't know what a characteristic defining ability in layer one even looks like. Well, that's so. interesting because characteristic defining abilities only touch color, type, yeah. and power and toughness. So you can't have a text changing characteristic defining ability. Or a control changing characteristic defining ability, but they left it in anyway. That's weird. Maybe it's room to breathe. I don't know, but they they explicitly fired layer one from this list, but left the rest of them in the list. That's wacky. Right? I don't know why. If you know, send us an email. <laughs> and then moving on to something hopefully a little more substantive than that. Um Nope. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're we're sure we're officially yeah. scraping the the bottom of no. the barrel here. Uh okay, there is there is one that is actually more important. So, this is this is a change, a significant change. So, before if two or more objects would receive a time a timestamp at the same time, such as by entering like the battlefield simultaneously or becoming attached to a thing simultaneously, the way it worked before is the active player determined the relative timestamp order uh, of those things. Uh, so you'd say, oh, this one's got the earlier one, and then this one, and then this one. This is now more complicated, because rather than just having the active player sort it all out, you go in active player, not active player order, and you go, okay, what, what of these objects are controlled by the active player? Okay, they have the earliest timestamps, and then the active player determines what their relative order is. And then we go to the next player in, in player order and say what what of theirs are entering, what objects are controlled or owned if there is no controller uh, by them. Okay, they have the next ones, ne next latest, and then they choose the relative order of those, etc., etc. Not super likely to come up in most games of magic but it is worth mentioning that this changed and the change is functional yeah i'm trying to think why they would have done it now uh again this might have been something for the uh for one of the commander cards because well, no, i could i'm wondering if it has something to do with mutate like you've got a merge permanent and blinking it somehow might cause okay so if i um ooh how would we do this right so it would, there's it... a there's a way where i can mutate onto something that i like i i have to mutate onto something that i oh okay here we go so i hostage take your creature that's got a mutate cost right okay um I can cast that as a mutating creature spell on a non-human creature I control and no, own. own. Oh, no, own. Own only. Right, right. But, but, so, so, follow me. Okay. I don't have to own the mutating creature spell. Nothing in the rules says I have to own that. I just have to own the thing I'm targeting. So I can end up with a, a pile that does have two different owners of cards in it. Mm, let's look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, this is this is live time here. We're gonna be uh, let's see if uh, mutate. Let me write down the timestamp while we're futzing around. I am reasonably confident this is correct okay. and therefore absurd. Mutating permanent. If you I would do, it becomes a mutating creature spell and targets with the same owner as this spell. That's the exact wording. Oh, That's the exact it does wording. say that. Okay. Yep. There okay. we go. Becomes okay. a mutating creature spell with the same owner. Where so is maybe that? it's not possible. Maybe they just did it for consistency because everything else is appnap. I I'm except, trying to find where you except, found that now. Where I found what? The 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 item that's oh same owner as that spell becomes a mutating yeah. creature spell and targeting not yes, I see it now, yes. Yeah, 702.139A. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. 
that is not how the release notes were written, um, but that is how this part works. So one of the right. ones that we glanced over has some specificity of language that that matters there. You mean that that uh, a reminder text doesn't exactly match? Uh, right. I mean, we we talked we talked about it. The reason why it was being owned is because if you could get it onto right. a a cart that you don't own, mutating onto something else that you do own, there's just all sorts of pandemonium, cats and dogs living together. It's just insanity. Yeah. Okay, so this is potentially, just for consistency's sake, this this rule here about two or more objects receiving timestamps simultaneously. It might have something to do with if there is a way that there is a mutated permanent that it, uh, let's see here, if two objects would receive timestamps simultaneously, such as Entering a zone simultaneously or becoming attached simultaneously. Hmm. So like something oh, well. that's finding multiple auras to put on the battlefield at the same time. There are effects that would do something like that. They would. Put I mean, multiple... yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas if a bunch of stuff's entering the battlefield at the same time, uh, that I, the active player, would get to decide your timestamps. Right. And kind of dork you over. Right, so if I'm like resolving an effect on your end step, the way it worked yeah. before, you would get to choose mm -hmm. my stuff's timestamps. Now I do because it's my stuff. Yeah. Well, I think speaking of timestamps, that's kind of everything, right? There's the yeah. The only other thing even worth mentioning is that the there's a there's an update to a rule that requires damage to be marked on a creature to check for lethal. I. I that was kind of always the case, but now there's language specifically saying it has to have damage marked on it, whereas that line wasn't there before. It has to have damage marked on it. Yeah, so before it said, if a creature has toughness greater than zero and the total damage marked on it is greater than or equal to its toughness, comma, mm -hmm. it's been dealt lethal. Now it says, if a creature has toughness greater than zero, comma, it has damage marked on it, comma, and the total damage marked on it is greater than or equal to its toughness. Because, like, oh, you could have zero damage on a on a zero-power creature with Godzilla in play, I guess, and so it has no damage marked on it, and zero is equal to zero, so it dies. I'm guessing is why that's here. Oh. So that it, so they could say, no, that's not how that works. Yeah, you have to actually mark see. a number of damage on it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's gotta that's be. That's exactly what it is. Godzilla. It's Godzilla. Uh-oh, there Godzilla. goes Tokyo. Oh, oh, Just Godzilla. Always Godzilla. Yeah. All anyway, right. So I guess that, uh, unless you've got something else, Brian, before we uh, we sign off of this Absolutely episode. not. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us on this episode of JudgeCast for Ikoria Rules and Policy Updates. Reminder, you can reach us at JudgeCast at gmail.com is our email address. You can also find us on Twitter. Search for JudgeCast. I believe we are at JudgeCast on Twitter. Uh, and we're also on Facebook. Search for JudgeCast on Facebook. You'll find us. There are other social media platforms we have mentioned before, but we are not on any of them. Otherwise, uh, thank you for joining us on whatever you chose to listen to this. And uh, I'm Jacob Belichich, and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prilliman, and I keep my timestamp, even if you add another Brian keyword counter to the podcast. <laughs>